Hello, my name is Nikima Prophet. I am the host of the Our Voices podcast. This is our very first episode after episode zero, which was just me talking about what my plans were with the podcast. And today as our guest, we have Michael Brown. He's the founder of the Juneteenth Conference, and he's here to talk to us. Would you like to give a quick intro? Oh, sure. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm founder of the Juneteenth Conference, which was a funny uh, sequence of events. You know, it was the middle of the pandemic, George Floyd, and the fallout from the events around George Floyd's murder um, was happening. Uh, I think I think a lot of the energy came because people were locked in their houses and and were paying attention for the first time and like it just uh, zoomed throughout the U.S. and like I was uh, I was thinking I was just sitting there in this moment. It was my um, first anniversary at Microsoft. Uh, which, you know, like it was, it was not sequence or confluence of events because it should be a time of celebration for me. I was like reflecting on like what I did, but like, it's like, how can you celebrate during this time, this time period with what's going on? And I just happened to be watching TV and, uh, um, the Juneteenth episode of Blackish came on. I'm like, oh yeah, Juneteenth is coming up. I'm like, and and it, I kind of sat with that and thought about how, you know, even with the first Juneteenth celebration, it was it was a memorial of like a momentous occasion for for them. Uh, but of course, everyone knew there was more work to do, but they still took the time to celebrate and. I guess reflect on um, where they have been, where they where they've been since that moment, and so I thought like in the same way we should be able to take a t time to like even in the midst of all this turmoil to recognize um, our success, our our achievements, and to celebrate, and then also to you know gird up for the rest of the battle. <laughs> And so uh, that was like two weeks <laughs> before Juneteenth, and I had no idea how it would happen. But uh, you know, the community came around; the community wanted it, and so we were able to uh, successfully launch it in that time frame. So it was exciting for me. That's amazing that it came together in just two weeks. Like, and I, I never knew that, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so this is the first episode. I apologize in advance for the awkwardness or the inexperience, but this is my first time hosting a podcast also. So everything is new. And the point of the podcast was to ask people to tell me a story. So I already have a little bit of an idea of the story that Michael's going to tell us, but I'm really interested in learning more. So if you're ready, we can go into the storytelling portion of the podcast. Oh, yeah. So I guess um, my story um, starts when I was back in 1985. I was eight years old, and my, um, my grandmother uh, brought a computer for, well, for the family, but, you know, like, she had seen me at the, we had gone prior to the Museum of Science and Industry, and they had a big exhibit around um, computers and how technology was going to change the workforce and everything back in 85. <laughs> and she saw how, like, fascinating, like, the museum is, like, this huge, like, I don't even want to count the square feet. It's, like, so many, like, that room itself is probably about four or 5,000 square feet, and there are, like, so many other exhibits and rooms and locations in the museum but we spent so much time there because i was just so engrossed in it so she saw how it captivated me and uh got my first computer and that was more or less love at first sight for me um and you know 
going for it, you know, like I learned, I learned how to program, um, ended up, uh, you know, loving the, uh, loving the craft, loving the opportunity that, that technology brought to me. I realized as I, uh, entered my professional career that not everyone, um, like me <laughs> had that same opportunity, you know, where they had a computer in the house from a young age. Um, and, you know, to, to further tell my background, you know, like I grew up in Chicago, um, my coming of age years, my teen years were in the middle of the Chicago drug war wars, you know, like, um, the neighborhood I lived in was called terror town, uh, to give you an idea, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a rapper who's out there now who, uh, who like proclaims that's where he grew up. And, you know, like, I don't doubt it, but like, it's, we were situated basically near turf, turf forest, basically, you know, and like, uh, it was bad, you know, like my, my, my school, I remember my, um, in uh, elementary school, we, uh, we were using like outdated books, like, you know, like we had books that were handed down from prior, prior classes in front of us. And like, like you look at the date, there were like 10, 15 names on it <laughs> prior to me. I'm like, okay. And like growing up, you know, you kind of see all of this as normal because that's what you've been exposed to. Um, it wasn't until I grew up, you know, like grew up, had a family, you know, and, you know, really prioritized whenever we moved, um, make it, uh, making sure a good school district was, you know, it's like, um, and so, um, as, as I was entering into my professional career, really when I was in college, you know, I managed to get a scholarship into a, a prestigious university college um it's, they don't they don't do they only do undergrad but uh it was a liberal arts college um and it was my first exposure to like wealth you know like I, I, that was you know like the the teacher the schools had a a, a minority orientation program but it wasn't really so much that i was a m minority that made me feel left out or external. It was, it was, it was the difference in, um, social class. Um, you know, it was my first time being around rich black kids, you know, like I could, under, I understood rich white kids, you know, that was typical, you know, like I went to a, uh, uh, prep, uh, college prep, uh, high school. And so I understood how to interact with them, how, to, what to expect in that environment. But I just couldn't relate, and it was weird. It really felt made me feel isolated um, in terms of being around rich black kids because they couldn't understand me. I couldn't understand them, and <laughs> it was it. It just confused me a lot. You know what I'm saying? Um, I interrupt for a second when yeah. you went to college. Um, yeah, this college that you had the scholarship for was it to study computer science or something else. <laughs> so that's an interesting story. So like, like I said, uh, technology for me was love at first sight. And like when, you know, in eighth grade they ask, Oh, what do you want to, what do you want to pursue as a career? I'm like, I want to be a computer programmer. And my mom was like, why do you want to be a computer programmer? You can't make any money doing that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, and realize that her experience, she, she, she's a, she's a boomer. Um, and so like computing and her, you know, when she was younger, when she was actually starting her career, computing was more or less secretarial work. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, so she didn't understand or grasp on to the fact that, uh, you know, technology would, would become what it, what it has become today. You know, it's, it's like a sea change. It's, it's interesting because I got to live during the dawn of the internet and see how things were before 
and things are after, you know, it's like no one could have predicted that we'd have, you know, access to the world's knowledge in our in our pocket before. Yeah, they used to happened. tell us, like, you're not going to have a calculator with you all the time. So you better right. learn how to do the math <laughs> yeah, in but, your head. No, we have a calculator. We have a, what, everything. It's a camera, yeah. calculator. You know, our my phone is strong is more powerful than the first computer I bought in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just funny thinking about, about how, like, what, how, um, the progress of technology, you know, like basically our phones are more powerful than, than, uh, mainframes back in the sixties. You know, it's like, and it's in our pocket versus a full room. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I did not go to college, um, intending to do computer science. I was, I was like, uh, I did, uh, I enjoyed Greek and Latin, um, in high school being in a seminary <laughs> and uh so I continue I was like okay I want to do classical studies and um like when it came time to take our I had to do work study as part of my um my financial aid package and I was like okay well I could work in the in the cafeteria I could work in the library or I could do student help desk and so at the student help desk and one of the managers was like, why aren't you taking comp sci? You know so much about computers. I'm like, I don't know. I'll try it out. And so I transit, I ended up transitioning my, um, my, um, major to, or my focus, um, to be a comp sci, but I didn't finish there. I like ended up leaving (laughs) before I got my degree. That's why I'm like, uh, X years old, trying to <laughs> um, complete my degree right now. I'm, um, I'm actually uh, enrolled uh, in WGU for a uh, for a bachelor's in computer science. Uh, ultimate goal is to take my master's in, you know, focused on um, AI and language processing, and uh, I want to tackle the the challenge of creating a uh, an artificial intelligent um, American Sign Language interpreter. So, like, uh, you know, it takes in so many aspects of technology, like um, um, natural language processing, video, um, computer vision, and and so much stuff like that. That so many elements and inputs have to come in to understand and make a good interpreter and you know like i think i i don't want to like necessarily be the first but i want to contribute to to producing that because for me um technology is always about building bridges and and being able to do more you know um and i think that's that's a big bridge we can enable you know like thinking of um you know a deaf a deaf student being able to be um in class and you know communicate sign language and and be able to participate in class as if um with no barriers like i said so that's my big dream (laughs) that's amazing i didn't know that you didn't already have a computer science degree no no i will i will i will tell people that in a heartbeat because I, I always get, you know, like there was someone talking about that just recently. Oh, the people who dropped out of college, they're going to be angry when their career stagnates. I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's been 27 years for me. I'm not seeing the stagnation yet. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I think like technology is, is a, uh, a field that it is possible to succeed with without traditional without the traditional path into it and that's that's what i've been trying to do um um is is support people who want to want to go into technology and who aren't on the 
on the straight and narrow path because that's it wasn't straight and narrow for me either. <laughs> I felt that hesitation when you said it's possible because my mind was going towards the idea of a meritocracy, which no, no, it's yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't want <laughs> to, I don't want to say that as a truth to it. You know, I think like if you're saying it's the pipeline issue, maybe you need to tap into some different pipes, right? <laughs> you right. know, right. Um. So with the little bit that you've given us so far, I already have found like you have many lives. Like you mentioned seminary, you mentioned what was it, <laughs> Terra Town, you've got street cred. Um so what like I don't know, I don't wanna like get in the in the way of your story if you're on to something. But mm-hmm. like how did you get from help desk to where you are in your career right now? Okay. Yeah, so you know, like I, um, I definitely did enjoy. Uh, no, no, I don't want to say I enjoyed it because I was working with a bunch of <sighs> pretentious kids who who thought that, you know, like because I was working for them that you know they could talk and behave however they wanted. But um, no, I went. Uh, you know, my my first uh, my first. Um, role before I, I did an internship at the school, which was the first time I ever made anything over like $10 an hour. It's like, I didn't know what to do. We were staying stuck on campus all summer. Um, and it's a small town. Um, the closest town was like two hours away and that was Albany <laughs> uh, or mate, you know, major city. And so we're stuck. We're stuck on campus all summer with way more money than I, I ever had before. And so, like, I spent it all <laughs> buying magic cards all all summer. <laughs> but um, no, it it was, you know, we were building um, websites for nonprofits for the for the uh, school and the alumni association specifically for me. And you know, I'm like, okay, well. I guess my mom was wrong about not getting paid because, you know, like, and so, um, the next summer, um, I did an internship with a, uh, a hospital, a hospital network that, that in Chicago, um, as a, as a associate, um, network administrator, like I was actually helping, um, helping uh, users with, with login issues, storage issues. So I did, I went from help desk to network administration and then got a full-time offer from that. I'm like, okay, well, not done with my degree, but could pay and get more in debt or I can make more than I ever made before, you know, than anyone in my family was making at the time. I said, okay, I'll take option B. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like I think I I skipped out of town just ahead of of being expelled anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, I, I did that, but I always wanted to you know push more into uh into uh into software development itself. So you know, like I start you know like I ended up um, a few jobs later actually getting my first software w- role. And it's funny. It was for a uh, a startup that was basically um, what what would it? It would be like a Zoom almost. Like it, the idea was to to do a live live video webcast between you know like communicating with people. So like, um, and we were really early. Um, like if we had actually succeeded we would have been the first in the in the space um unfortunately the uh cto of the organization was a scam artist so like he uh he uh he wrote he said he wrote up this well he didn't write up anything he copied someone's thesis paper and said yeah i've made a uh i've made an encryption and compression algorithm that will make it the most secure video stream ever. So we're building up the um, the 
the application where you know um, we're using uh, real networks um, SDK, which um, if you <laughs> I don't think I don't think I, they have a, a I believe a building in downtown Seattle still, but I don't know anyone who uses them anymore. <laughs> but uh, we we were using Real Networks SDK to create a streaming platform, basically, and so the client took away like creating a, a stream on using the Real Media server. Uh, it was like a production operation, so like we we made a client that simplified that and a and a front end server that made it all uh easy to set up that that connection from one person to another and like we had like a friends list where you could say click on I could click on your name and set up a, a video chat like that. We had it working and while we're demonstrating this to the CEO, the CTO makes this comment like, Oh yeah, um it's using it's using my algorithm right now. And I'm kind of confused because I was working with all of the code. So I had I had done all of the code and not once did I write a compression or a call to a decompression <laughs> in the code. So how is it using your algorithm? You know, like you can't just sneak it in there and like <laughs> it just magically work. You know, at some point we have to like operate with it. So I'm I'm not saying this because I'm like, man, terrified because I'm like, okay, if this this guy, I just I just didn't know what to do or or to say because it was, it was like obvious dude was scamming, and. um Eventually, he kind of picked up that that I knew <laughs> that he was on something, and so he made up this whole scenario where he started yelling at me and like threatening me, and he's like, "Yeah, if you don't get out of here, I'll call the police." I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and uh, so he told the rest of the of the team that I was threatening him and yelling at him, and I'm like, "Well, that's not what happened." And like. <laughs> One of my coworkers, we're still in touch with with each other. He's like, "Wow, man, that is the craziest thing I've ever been through." I'm like, "I don't know." It, no one. He's like, "I've told people about this, and no one believe believes me." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like it it went from being so promising to uh, to um, to yeah, blowing up because dude was more intent on keeping a scam alive then like hey we've got something working we can actually make a run with this but um yeah and then like i became somewhat of a of a journeyman after that you know um and the hard thing for me is uh you know i uh i have a sleeping disorder <laughs> and us uh, uh what is this thing called sleep apnea and like it requires medical in intervention to, to care for it and one thing about the the u.s health system is that without without insurance you're not really able to afford it um and a lot of a lot of companies when you join them, they're like, well, you're on probation, so you don't get access to the to the plan yet. So by the time probation is over, they're like, well, you're falling asleep. I'm like, yeah, because I have a health condition, you know, like, and I can't take care of it because I don't have the money or the insurance approved yet. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a chicken and egg. And, and you know, it it's difficult to 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 deal with um with health or other disabilities in America's workforce because you know like it feels like the only value people see in you is how much money they can make right. off of you and once you know it's like 
I pushed myself to to be at the pinnacle um, as a as a consultant because like I eventually went into consulting not because like I wanted to be my own boss, it's because at that point the main reason to not be a consultant is for job security, but I didn't have any because of my health, and so I said, okay, well, if I'm not I'm not going to make that trade off for something that I don't get in return. I'm just going to be like, pay me. <laughs> so like, you know, like as a consultant, you know, like your rate, you get paid a lot more. Of course, you don't get the, the, uh, the job, job security, but I didn't have any anyway. So since I didn't have it, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll just get to take the higher pay. Um, but it's difficult because, again, as a consultant, you know, like, no one's going to say, oh, yeah, you know that thing you did? It works so well. It's so great. Okay, what have you done this week? <laughs> so, you know, it, it was it became a really bad cycle, and it was depressing for me. You know, it's like I almost ended up being in technology, went from like my dream job to like almost being a trap. You know, it's like, I felt like what else can I do <laughs> and make the money that I make? And it was, it was, the answer is always nothing. You know, it's like, and you know, like I have a, you know, like I grew a family and, and I couldn't just like, Oh, let me, let me switch careers now. <laughs> you know, So I don't know. It's, uh, it's been a journey, you know, and, and eventually like, uh, you know, as a consultant, I ended up moving into, uh, doing work in the cloud and that drew Microsoft's attention and, and like, I suddenly like realized, okay, employment in general doesn't suck. It's just finding the company that actually does what they say, you know, it's like so many times I've heard we invest in our employees and you know it's just talk and there this is the only time this is the only career or job i've had that i felt that was true yeah when you were talking about that first startup um and the cto being kind of like wiling out <laughs> um it just made me think about how insecure it can feel to work at a startup if you were to go back you think that if you knew that the big company experience could be what it is that you would have pursued it earlier oh yeah so so make no doubt um i pursued microsoft <laughs> since since i was in college you know it's oh, like wow. um you know i actually um applied here five times and got a no five times um, and the sixth time Microsoft reached out to me and <laughs> it sounds so wild, but, um, uh, I was like, you know, I, I went through the first interview and they're like, oh yes, we'd like to invite you up for, uh, for a round of, you know, technical interviews. I'm like, I told my wife, I'm like, I don't think I should go. And she's like, <laughs> Why won't you go? I'm like, because, you know, it's going to be a no again. Why Why would I want to put myself up for that? You know, it's like, and she's like, well, you get a free trip at least to Seattle. You love Seattle. And I'm like, but it's not free because I got to, I got to, I, I, I get paid hourly. So if I don't work, I don't get paid. So it costs me money to go to Microsoft. And she's like, no, just go. You know, you'll, you'll have a good time. I know you'll enjoy yourself. And so. It's fun. I think almost like the fact that I was going there with no, no, no expectations that I would get the offer. It made me more calm and relaxed and I was able to shine through and like, you know, like the, uh, uh, well, I guess they liked me, <laughs> but, uh, no, I also I also feel like I experienced a lot of, you know, the typical gatekeeping um, in my prior interviews, you know. Um, of course, like having to do the white 
whiteboard, coding, quiz. You know, it's like, I don't know. I just, I understand. I, I, no, I don't. I'm trying to understand it. It feels more like that the whiteboard coding and, and those technical screens are more of a eliminator. Like you have way too many good candidates, so you have to find a way to, to winnow it out. But it'd be great if that was, if there was no bias involved. But there's there's always bias, like in terms of what questions are asked, how many questions are asked, um, what do you consider a good answer? Because you could get to an answer, but it's not the one that the interviewer was thinking of. I I had you know like I I answered I answered one, and then like you know the guy was like. Hmm. Interesting. I'm like, oh yeah. Well, how would you approach it? He's like, I do it such and such. I'm like, oh yeah. I didn't think about that because I was writing on a whiteboard. I didn't tell him this, but I'm writing <laughs> on a whiteboard on a problem that just was presented to me. You know, <laughs> it's like I have no compiler. I have no Google. I have to figure this out on my own on the fly in front of a stranger who's judging me. Go figure. <laughs> and so. um you know, like I've had colleagues um, with a little less melanin than us who said, like, yeah, well, I've never been asked to do a whiteboard coding. You know, like oh, wow. we had we had, <laughs> we had an interview and, and, and they gave me an offer. I'm like, oh, must be nice. Must be nice. So yeah. what was it that kept you coming back, though? Because you did one, two, three, four, five interviews. Um, so each time, well, the first time was, you know, like for internships and like, um, one, one of the inter, you know, um, tech recruiters came to campus and I went and interviewed with him and he was like, okay, well, we'd like to bring you on. And of course that didn't work because I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's the internship. Like, I think each time after that someone had invited me to like, oh, you should interview for this role. Like, it was never like me like trolling and saying, oh, like, ooh, I'd like to do that. Like, uh, one time uh, when I was an MVP um, for uh, WPF, um, you know, someone mentioned, hey, we're doing, we're hiring for the, uh, for the WPF designer and visual studio team. It was called Cider back then. You should come in because, you know, um, this is your space. I'm like, yeah, I should do that. And so I got interviewed and, you know, it's like, okay. Well, so at one point in the interview, <laughs> and I remember every question that I've been asked in the interview. So like one question was uh, implement a no i to a turn an integer into a string or was it a to i it was a to i because I, I i could do a, i to a implement a to i turn a turn a string into an integer mm -hmm. or was it i to a it was mm -hmm. i to a and i froze like i couldn't even think of like where to start and i was i was like my mind was like, oh, well, it's something to do with bits. And so maybe I, I need to do some bit manipulation. And, and the guy's just looking at me and he's like, okay. <laughs> and like, of course, like, it didn't even dawn, because like I had solved A to I, which, you know, turn a string into an integer. And I to A is just a reverse of that. So like, a to I, you take the first letter, turn it into into its, its number representation, multiply it by 10, add the next letter to it, you know, blah, 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 until you get to the know. end. It's just now coming clear to me what, <laughs> what yeah. the problem is. And so the reverse of that is you have, like, let's say you have 19,411. Well, you look at the first digit. Um, so there are two ways you could do it. The long way is you, you divide it out until it's less than zero, right? 
divide by 10 until it's less than zero. So now you know how many digits to multiply by. And then you say, okay, multiply by 10, you get the one. And then multiply by 10 again, you get 19. And multiply by 10 again, you get, you know, and just do that um, using modulus. So. <laughs> Okay, I thought I understood that question, but I would have no idea. Yeah, it's, what it's, to do. <laughs> right. And so this is what I'm being asked to do on the fly on the whiteboard, on the and, whiteboard. I, and my my brain just froze. You know, I was like, oh my god. And another time, I was invited by a, a former colleague who I worked with, and it was his team. Well, the team that he was on, he 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 then controlled the team, um, who was interviewing, and. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was an interesting event. Let me if say you that. could redesign the Microsoft interview, how would you find candidates that are suitable? That's funny because uh, you know um, I was part on a project called uh, Rosa um, that we ran in our organization. So the funny part about Microsoft, everyone. From the outside, Microsoft looks like just this big giant comp company. Mm -hmm. um, internally, it's like an umbrella company with like maybe a dozen or 20 or so self-contained companies. They work together. They, they coordinate. They affect each other. There's a big ecosystem there. But like... <laughs> They all have their own different, like, culture. They their own different, their own different style of of work. Everything. So, our organization was called uh, CSE, um, Commercial Software Engineering, and uh, you know during that same summer, you know a group a group of black employees in in CSE came together and said, we want to focus on making our hiring practices more inclusive and i joined i joined that effort and, and you know we had a number of recommendations one of them that has turned into a pilot program throughout the company um one recommendation i gave was like um given an option of a um rather than you know whiteboard coding and a series of five interviews, five one hour long interviews that start that all start with, well, tell me about yourself. So people don't understand, like, for the interviewer, I'm just meeting you. <laughs> so I want to get like a quick introduction. I've, at the end of the day, I've, I've told five people about myself. And like, about what I've done and like answered questions about random points on my resume that, you know, and it's like, I said, well, maybe we could consider, um, a panel style interview where I don't have to waste my time doing repeating myself five times over, you know, like it's intimidating, you know, like, cause now you've gotta be, a, you've gotta be good at, at talking to a total stranger, you gotta be good at technology. You gotta be, you've gotta have so many skills to shine in the interview. And for instance, I have not once had to write I to A at Microsoft. Right. Go figure. I haven't had to implement my own queue, or implement a queue using stacks, or any of those questions that have been asked. <laughs> so, you know, like I, I thought, you know, one thing we could do is provide a, a take home assessment. And of course, um, you know, that's going to lean toward people who have the time, but I also think it would take, take the onus of on the spot demonstrations yeah. of, of te technical skill off of, off. So like it'd be an option rather than like, this is how we do it. You know, this is an option, you know, you can do it in a panel style or you could do it, uh, 
via uh, via the series of of interviews. And um, you know, so that's that that's how I would approach it. And like, even better than that is like, if someone has, um, you know, source code on on GitHub or something that they've done, um, just to talk through that, make of the decisions they've made, how 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 they would change it. You know, not necessarily having to um, to create create something new based on a spec. But you've got something that you've already created and talk about it, you know, like, you know, that's what we care about is like, can you talk about a technical solution and explain it to, you know, to another, another person, a peer in your field, you know, that's what it boils down to and, um, removing some of the, the stressful agents of the, uh, of the interview process is, is what I want to do. <laughs> Can you share like what you do in your current role at Microsoft? Yeah, so um, we uh, we work with uh, customers to help them um, basically get a jump start as they transition to to the cloud. Um, so it's I would almost call it like a sales engineer. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, a customer says, "Hey, we want to we want to do this. We have this initiative." And we help them prototype it, but we also work with the customers. So rather than doing it for them, um, we actually embed into their teams and and build the solution with them, so that they, by the time we step away, they have an understanding of it and can you know are capable of uh, of maintaining and, and growing it from there. That's a really interesting role, and it's not one that we talk about a lot in our tech Twitter streets. <laughs> I think there's a lot of focus on learning how to code for web development, and we talk a lot about that. But um, yeah, I'm excited to hear more about the different kinds of roles that we could have in our tech careers. Oh, yeah. Also, I cut you off earlier at the beginning when we were talking about the Juneteenth comp. Did oh. you want to go into more detail oh. or history on that or about oh. what's in the future? For oh, Juneteenth? sure. So we're still, we're still um, executing um, the plan to host, um, host our first in-person conference in Chicago. Um, I, I sent out a... I sent out a tweet, you know, like an, an email and, and blast to, to find volunteers to help help do it all because, you know, basically what happens is like a bunch of people come together when it's time to, to do the uh to do the uh conference and then they disperse and it's like I gotta gather them all together again, you know, it's like like it's it's kinda tragic because sometimes people give their uh work emails and like um, my emails campaigns bounce off because they're no longer with their old company, and that's sad. But um, no, I I think uh, you know I'm excited because you know Chicago's my hometown, and and you know like <laughs> Chicago pride is a big thing. You know, it's like I I love being able to show off my city, and I want to show it off. Uh, to to the conference, we got we got some great submissions, um, great speakers who are coming coming through, um, and you know, like I just want to continue the uh, continue the celebration that we we started in 2020. Um, for me, you know, like I'm looking at the conference right now as a fundraiser as well for for the organization um because you know i started um i started the idea of a uh of a internship program for and we're looking at doing it for uh high school students and the idea being that we can um we could you know work with them to to expose them to technology careers and not and 
you know, of, of course, there's the fact that it's not like you just mentioned, it's not just coding. There's there's UX, there's, you know, graphic design, project management, so many other roles that go into to creating software. And, you know, like a lot of people just assume like, oh, you know, I'm not math inclined. I'm not technology inclined. And that's, you know, there, there are other uh, spaces to fit in there. Um, and the idea is to uh, is to give them not just like you know a boot camp, but almost like a, uh, a like I said an internship where we provide them a stipend, uh, and so that you know like I said, I'm thinking a lot about how would I like to have been helped as a younger person, you know, like getting more exposure to what's possible in tech, you know, like if I had known more about it even in high school or you know younger i would have been able to say well mom it's not just it's not just like what you thought it was you know there's so many other opportunities but um um you know being able to provide them with knowledge and resources about the field as well as um you know being <laughs> Being low in, a low income um, child, um, you know, being able to have money in my pocket from from a from a um, from a activity that actually would would lead to a, a you know professional development would have been amazing. You know, it's like and. and we're landing on around a thousand a month for the student, um, plus a uh, plus a technology package. You know, like give them the computer, look, give them, give them, you know, stuff they need to get started. So there's there's nothing in their way. You know, you know because a lot of people assume that for like if you're working at McDonald's, that's just for like pocket change you know or and it's like that's not the, that's not the reality you know it's like a lot, a lot of my friends a lot of my friends working in mcdonald's you know in my uh when i was in high school as well um they were doing it to to help the family you know that was going into the family pot it's like so the we're trying to make as much impact as possible you know you know with this with the stipend with the training, um, and of course with mentorship, you know, and by the time they're done, done with high school, they'll have enough knowledge of the career and of the field. You know, I think even before high school, you know, like, I think like, you know, after their first year, you know, of, of being in the program, I think they should be able to transition onto actual paid projects and that's that's the next step is to look for partner companies to uh to uh to help us in terms of finding um finding paid work for the interns under guidance of course what i like about that is well it addresses the so-called pipeline mm -hmm. problem which we know is not really the problem um, but it also like to me it feels respectful <laughs> towards the intern like you're getting them involved on this level where hey we picked you you belong here we're gonna pay you for your work like I th there's so much insecurity and yeah I guess insecurities will suffice but for people who are like my age, who were switching into this career and coming from a non-technical background, people feel like they don't belong, and then you're treated like you don't belong, and then you're treated like you're lucky to be here. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the idea of getting people used to the idea that they belong and that they are going to be paid for doing their good work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's like i said as as much as possible it's it's what would what would have helped me at, at at a younger age 
So is there an open CFP for the Juneteenth Conf or is it? No, we closed it off. Okay. <laughs> and when does that happen this year? So we are looking at June 15th and 16th because the 19th is a Monday and the 18th is Father's Day. So we don't want to like interfere with that, but um, we think the weekend before, you know, will be a good opportunity for people to gather and, and celebrate. Yeah, so we actually are at the end of our time, which is like amazing. <laughs> I'm really glad that you came and like, you're my first guest. And I wanted to ask you about your your background and also do you identify as a nerd or a geek and which one, if any? So I've definitely, uh, you know, I was called a nerd quite often as, as a kid, you know, so like I was the kid who was getting A's in science and math and, uh, <laughs> but no, um, but I also like I've embraced geek culture as well. You know, it's like you see my um, my array of board games and magic cards. So um, I'm both. <laughs> What's the difference? Do you know? Is there a difference between nerd and geek? So you know, like I think I think nerd is, you know, like I was definitely a know-it-all. You know, and like and flaunting my know-it-allness. You know, like and. <laughs> And I think sometimes nerds have social interaction issues, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I was nerdy, definitely. Um, but, you know, like geek, I think geek is around, is around uh, cultures, you know? It's like, you know, like I'm, I'm a board game geek. I'm a, I'm a comic book geek, you know, like I'm, I'm like having a, a bunch of fun with, uh, with the MCU because like all of the stories I, I've read when I was younger, are just like coming on screen now, it's like, ah, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's, that's the sole difference between them. You know, it's like about, um, you know, you could be a geek without being a nerd. You could be a nerd without being a geek or you could be a nerd and a geek. <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I don't even know how to like end this thing, but <laughs> that I guess that is the end of episode one with Michael Brown. Well, it was great um, chatting with you. Same. Hey, this is Nikima from the future. This was the first podcast episode recording for the Our Voices podcast, and I really didn't know how to end it. Still working through the learning process of all of this. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening if you made it this far. And extra special thanks to Michael Brown for being my first guest. Even though, um, they will be coming out kind of out of order because I published an episode before this one will be um, that we recorded on Twitter. So, but this was my first interview. So super special episode and thank you for being here for it.